back to Cannonballs. For the next two weeks, we're reading Anne of Green Gables, Ella Montgomery's classic novel of Canadian girlhood. Yes, Canadian, which is the thing I didn't even know that this book was set in Canada because I never read it when I was a kid. Uh, today, we're discussing chapters 1 through 19. And as usual, I am here with Ben Cosman. Hi, Ben. Hello, Gemma. How are you? I'm all right. You know, reading some good books. Uh, and we're also joined by Kieran McCrory, playwright, adjunct professor, co-founder of the Windmill Arts Center in Atlanta, Georgia, and... If I was Anne, I would call her a kindred spirit and my bosom friend. Hello, Kieran. Hi, Gemma, my bosom friend. <laughs> yes. I, wish I, I wish I had memorized. I would have prepared a declaration from the book um, <sighs> in advance to we should have. Uh, flourish here. But, you know, it's, sometimes you got to do things on a schedule. I, I understand. I mean, I really should have recorded this last night with you specifically under the super moon because exactly. it would have been very romantic and poetic. With uh, a capital not yes yes of course always with a capital r that's the kind of romance i like Mm -hmm. uh so anne of green gables is a book that you have read kieran yes and you liked it when you were a child i loved it when i was a child i read all the anne books because there are several more after anne of green gables um and i love the 1985 1985 miniseries and actually i thought the netflix reboot was also not bad so i am i'm a i think you can call me an anne of green gables stan (laughs) oh well good that's exactly (laughs) why we invited you on the podcast uh, you are, were at one point a little bit of a redhead. I yes, yeah, not naturally, um, and not yes. uh, not a not a not a not an Anne redhead, but yes, I, I have I have lived in the redhead world. Exactly. How do you how do you think Anne would feel about people who dye their hair red artificially? Do you think she would find them, you know, misery loves company, or do you think she would think they're mocking them? Uh, you know, I think it would depend on the shade. I think if it were tending towards orange, she would like pity the person as if they didn't understand what a horror it was to be <laughs> a carrot head. But I think if it was like a nice deep red, she might, she, you know, she might at one time have dyed her hair that direction. So I, th- I think it would depend on the on the shade number. True. She is, she is a big fan of the color red, I she believe. Is. Yeah. Except for her hair. But. Except for that. Uh, so since we've never read it, uh, ben and I at least have not. I can't believe I missed this as a kid. It's really surprising to me. It is time for a scouting report, which we do at the beginning of every new book. A scouting report, if you are not a baseball person like some of us are, uh, is something to just kind of let you know what you're expecting and what you can expect to to be in the future. We do it on a 20 to 80 scale, 80 being the highest, 20 being the lowest. I don't know. Baseball's weird. Uh, here is one of the, the first category, which is classicness. I gave it an 80 because I feel like there's so many adaptations of this and everybody knows about it. And just by some weird chance of fate, I missed reading it as a kid. So I feel like this is really high for me. Uh, Do you guys differ? Any feelings on that? Uh, Yeah, I would go 70, 80. Um, I think, you know, in our gender normed world, it's a little different for a boy growing up. This was never really on my radar. Um, And in fact, even into my 20s, I think I'd missed i confused anne of green gables with pippi longstocking frequently <laughs> because they're both uh sort of jubilant redheaded girls but uh no it's it's a classic i mean everyone knows the name anne of green gables yeah i think i would tend in the 70 75 direction also just because i know it was big for me when i was a kid but i don't remember having like an anne of green gables friend who also read mm. the book and we talked about it you know so i'm not sure well that might be the that might be a later category so I'll say 75. I'll, I'll, I'll temper it at 75. That makes sense. That makes sense. I think having a friend who's, who like has it with you, I thought you we were going to say phase at first. And I thought, oh, that's interesting because I definitely had phases with books where I wanted to be the characters. You're like dressed like it, you know? Mm-hmm. 
So like that, that level of, but that does bring us into our next category, which is accessibility um, for me, which is how easy it is to talk about, how easy is it to read? Um, I'm in the 70, 75 area for it because I think it's really easy to read. Really, really easy to just get through. Difference, same. How do you feel, Kieran? I would weigh in at about the same. I, I mean, selfishly, I might go 80 for accessibility only because I think it's very easy to read. I think the I think Montgomery does a good job of like explaining every character to you. Uh, and I'm going to fight the like five point difference that might prevent people <laughs> from feeling Anne of Green Gables is totally accessible because that to me speaks to the gender norm that Ben mentioned. Right. Like the idea of living in what is primarily a female world in uh, mm -hmm. Green Gables. Um, but I think I think Montgomery does what any respectable author do, should do, right? Which is like, actually, it, the intention is for it to be accessible, for everyone to be accessible, for the place to be accessible. That's a, yeah, that's a really interesting point. I didn't even think of that until you mentioned it, but every, every character that really matters in this book is female. Like, Matthew is the only predominantly male character who even has speaking lines. Mm -hmm. um, and he doesn't, he's just sort of exists to like Anne, I guess. I don't know what his deal is right now. Um, but yeah, accessibility, I mean, this is what? Like middle grade? I mean, you could probably read this starting in, what, third grade? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I would give this an 80. Although, maybe a 75, because there are some Canadian in, uh, idiosyncrasies that I find interesting. Hmm. Um, but we could, I mean, I didn't know I didn't know that you called, that they called liberals grits in Canada. I learned that from this book. I like that. Uh, I yeah, like it's it's good, but <laughs> I, I could I can imagine that being slightly a barrier, but yeah, seventy five eighty. All right, all right, we're all still up there. So our last category for our scouting report is pop culture influence, which again gave this an eighty. It's a we only have three tools, so it's a it's a three tool book here, um, because there's so many adaptations of this book. Um, there are just so many. And on Thanksgiving Day, when I was cooking, my roommate put on PBS, and there was yet another new adaptation that was made in 2016 with Martin Sheen as Matthew. Uh, and they're the same year that the Netflix reboot uh, was being made, even though it came out a little bit later. So I feel like this is this is just something that is deeply embedded in pop pop culture. So I went high. Anyone else? Do you else really difference? think? I mean, do you feel like if you made an Anne of Green Gables joke in a like a I don't know, like a middle of the road audience that they'd be like, ah, oh, yes, Anne of Green Gables. That's a reference that I get. Oh, that's a good standard to think about it by. But I'm trying to like, what kind of joke, book joke would ever clear that bar? <laughs> right, fair. I mean, I don't know if there is a, a singular book joke that would hit that um, mark, but. I feel like the only book that could ever clear that bar if it was make like to a general audience, a book joke would be Moby Dick. Or I was thinking like Dick and Jane might be the most pop culture heavy book <laughs> reference in the sense of Dick. Like... <laughs> <laughs> um, I, but I would go high maybe, but I would maybe go like 70, I would maybe go like 65 pop culture. I think, I think pop culture influence is the lowest mark for me on the scouting report what? in terms of Anna Green. Interesting. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd maybe 50 to 60. Wow. Um, like I think you could, I think you could reasonably live a life and have no interaction with any with Green Gables the book or any of its pop culture inspirations. Um, I mean, that would be sad, but I guess I think it doesn't make sense because it's not like there's any slang from it or anything that's like pervaded our language or that it changed the direction of fiction. When we were talking about Bleak House for the last month, 
It's like this was sort of a proto-detective novel, so that has a far-reaching influence, even if people don't necessarily know that. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if there's something else that I think you might actually see Anne of Green Gables sort of uh, like um, an uptick in pop culture clout because the reason why both of those adaptations came about in 2016 is because the entertainment industry is so hungry for female-driven narratives right now that it's not surprising to mm-hmm. me that there were multiple reboots of of one of the f- kind, not few, but one of the few sort of really female-centric narratives. Um, so you, you might see more of a pop culture influence going forward. I think that's very possible. That's interesting. Yeah, I think, do you think, is it more popular in Canada? Is this like a touchstone in Canada that we don't have in the U.S.? I bet it is. My edition yeah. has this whole thing that's like Margaret Atwood loves Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> it's like a huge deal for other Canadian writers. Gemma, when you go to Montreal, you should do field research and ask all the Canadians oh. you meet what Anne of Green Gables means to them. You know yeah. what? I might. I might just uh, record some sound on site and see how that goes. <laughs> there you go. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> all right. Let's just talk about the book for a little bit. Before we do that, we want to catch you up on the plot. Since we only read chapters one through 19 this week, Ben has one minute to tell us oh my gosh what the plot is uh, great ben, all right are you ready start the counter yeah let's do it all right and go okay so Anne is she shows up she's mistakenly brought on a train um she's supposed to be a boy matthew and marilla who are these uh i don't know we can talk about the relationship because i don't i can't tell if they're brother and sister or they're married um but these two adults living together um and they show up to get this boy. Matthew brings Anne back. He, you know, becomes taken with her, even though he's terrified of all young girls. Uh, a bunch of adults debate in front of Anne, in front of her face, whether or not they should keep her. Uh, they decide to keep her, of course, because this is our book. Um, there's some hijinks. Anne learns to pray. She gets in trouble, learns a lesson. She goes to school. She makes a bosom, fr- a bosom friend in Diana, uh, Diana Berry, who is this, um, you know, black-haired beauty, apparently. Uh, she gets in trouble in school, decides not to go, uh, and gets Diana drunk on current wine, which is pretty, uh, awesome. Uh, and so Diana's mom sort of bans her from Diana's life, but then Anne saves a baby, gets back into good graces. And time. Uh, I got pretty far. I got pretty good. You did. You did a pretty good job. I, I left out the, pay, the part where they went to debate concert or whatever it is. Yeah, they go see some recitations. This is like adventures in, in young Anne's life. Yeah, we there's not a strong through line so far, uh, except for everyone being emotionally repressed. But we can talk about that. I mean, I, to me, it's just Anne. Like the story's about her. Yeah. It's what happens to her. So let's just talk about how we feel about Anne to start things off. Uh, what her personality is obviously very vibrant. She loves to imagine things and she talks all the time. Like there are a couple chapters that are just a monologue of Anne talking. Yep. Do you like Anne? Ultimately, yes. <laughs> Why ultimately? Um, because, I, you know, I think if it were me, uh, the, the incessant talking would definitely wear on my nerves. But she is young, too. So I would rather have, like, an imaginative um, sort of out there kid around than, you know, than, like, Diana, right? To be, speaking frankly, right? Like, well-behaved, sort of middle-of-the-road Diana seems uh, a little boring to me. So yeah, I like Anne. I like her gumption. I like her flair for the dramatic. I like her on paper. That's what we'll say about Anne. I like her on paper. I'm not sure how I would like her in person. 
that is that is how I felt too because she does talk quite a bit and that is very charming and I'm sure that if as I was an adult I would really like her if I was also a little girl if I was a little girl that I was I might be like oh my god stop bossing me around with your own story <laughs> that might be the difference Ben do you like her uh yeah I really like Anne uh for a number of reasons I like that she she has really great turns of phrases um turns of phrase I don't know Turns of phrases. I don't know how to press, <laughs> how, how to pluralize that. Um, but I, yeah, she's she talks a lot. I I think you're right. I think I w- if I was a child, I would find her very tiresome and annoying, and like always wanting to be in the spotlight. But I respect her. I respect her uh, schoolyard rivalry with Gilbert, uh, whatever his name is, Blythe, because mm-hmm. um, I I've very much treated all my peers in grade school like that. Uh, <laughs> Did you also um, break slates over their heads? I did not only only in my imagination. Um, <laughs> I do, but I also like Anne because I feel really bad mm-hmm. for her, um, and that's sort of what I'm. I was most surprised about starting this book because it is very standard uh, middle grade young adult sort of young person has adventures, but it's also a lot darker than I was expecting. There's this dark undercurrent where Anne clearly has these uh, lasting symptoms of. Uh, intense on childhood neglect where she she just casually drops references to imagining her reflection as her best friend she all she makes i mean she makes everything super dramatic which is just something she does but she talks about like dying or killing herself very frequently uh and so i feel really bad for her but i also like her i would want to take her under my wing and make sure she's okay she's very resilient <laughs> because she's basically treated as unpaid labor from the second she can walk <laughs> yes so at the beginning of the book they are talking about the kind of adoption system that they're like oh we're gonna get a boy to help us so it's basically like we're getting this child the child is gonna do work and like i guess we'll feed them or whatever and they end up with Anne. so i did a little bit of research because i didn't understand one of the terms they used which is they were like oh we were gonna get a barnard a bernardo boy but we don't want one from london and so i looked into what that was and apparently it was like a huge child abuse scandal where they would send all over over, over all these orphans from london and they would all be worked so hard as like unpaid farm laborers that they just like kids would just be dying by the hundreds. And there's a great there's like a graveyard in Canada where there are a ton of unmarked graves where a lot of these children are buried. Yeah. And it was a huge scandal. Uh, so I was like, wow, that's that's a really dark basis for being like, whoops, got a girl. I guess we'll keep her. And she's nice. <laughs> That that whole section where Marilla and Miss Rachel are talking about what kind of child they're getting was just a crazy introduction to this book that I was not expecting, um, because they're 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 literally talking about what kind of uh, young boy they want to adopt as if it's like I don't even know like buying a service yeah. of something. It is um, like yeah, I get uh, Marilla talks about not wanting uh, like stupid French boys. <laughs> Uh, she hates she, French. She once refers to no London street Arabs for me. Uh, give me a native born at least, and it's just that it was it was wild. It was something I was not expecting. So Anne shows up into this world of Avonlea, and she everyone sort of opens up a little bit. Just like you said at the beginning, they're they're very xenophobic, and they're like, oh, I mean, Nova Scotia, that seems really at least it's in Canada. But like, if she'd been from Ontario, they would be like, no, no. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, so what is, how does Anne change the people around her in the first half of the book? Is it for good? Is it for bad? Ben, I honestly didn't think you would like her because she likes being alive so much. (laughs) Well, no, but she also talks about death a lot. So I, 
I sympathize. But she says it early in the beginning of the book. They're just in the lane. She's just like driving down one of the lanes with Matthew. And she's like, oh, the world, it's so interesting. And it makes me feel so glad to be alive. And every day there's a chance for something new to be interesting. And we talked about this a little bit last time. But you, Ben, are anti-being born (laughs) into the world because life is bad. And Anne's life up until the point she gets adopted has been pretty bad. So how do you, it's like. Yes, well, uh. I believe that the, the anti-natalist view, as I am, you know, I said officially, I'm not committing to be an anti-natalist. I am entertaining. I am flirting with anti-natalism. We all. Um, but, <laughs> but uh, I mean, Anne is alive. You can't take it back. So she has to make the best of her life now that she is. And, you know, considering it, she is a pretty good test case for anti-natalism and the fact that she has been, uh, you know, immediately from birth, she was just born into misery um, after her parents both died of fever, I believe, or pneumonia or something like that. Yeah, fever. Um, and then she's just sold off to labor. Um, you know, she's, you know, like you said, she's resilient. I appreciate that. I appreciate how dramatic and she is. She, she uh, at one point makes reference to, um, it would have been such a romantic experience to have nearly drowned. Uh, and then every, when she gets in trouble, she says something like, maybe you'll send me back to the asylum where I'll die of consumption. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I respect that. <laughs> with a healthy dose of morbidity you know yeah yeah she does like to fantasize about like there's the one fantasy where she like imagines she or diana both getting sick and then she dies and diana (laughs) cries at her grave forever yes that that is also i love that story (laughs) so what is your favorite one of Anne's adventures uh, I mean, we got to talk about this. We, it's got to be when she gets Diana drunk, right? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely got to be up there. It is. What 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 classifies as an adventure? I guess is my question. Is it is it a single action? Is it a long thing? Is it a? Um, I think it can be uh whatever you want adventure to be. Maybe long thing is better because it has its own chapter. Um, I personally like when she totally crushes Gilbert's heart. Um, I'm very, very into that. It's so funny. Uh, like she, I'm going to find it because I bookmarked the page because it's so funny. Um, she has to sit yeah. with him and she puts her head on the desk the entire time. She has to sit with him because uh, they're super creepy teacher, oh by God, the way, yeah. Mr. Phillips. Yeah, um who's who's creeping on so it's like a one-room schoolhouse and the older kids sit in the back whatever and he is apparently the the teacher the teacher with a mustache is constantly sitting with 16 year old prissy because he's super into her and like hitting on her the whole time which is gross um but so they're all late like they spend their lunch hour picking gum in the grove and then everyone's late but he decides to make an example of and her punishment is that she has to sit with the boys which whatever but uh, she has to sit next to Gilbert and he tries to be nice to her and she puts her head down the whole time. And then uh, once when nobody was looking, Gilbert took from his desk a little pink candy heart with a gold motto on it. You are sweet and slipped it under the curve of Anne's arm. Whereupon Anna Rose took the pink heart gingerly between the tips of her fingers, dropped it onto the floor and ground it to powder beneath her heel. <laughs> Which is <laughs> the greatest rejection it's ever. Good. It's very symbolic, you know. Yes. Literally crushing the heart beneath her heel. Yeah. I oh, think my yeah. favorite Anne adventure is is the is the first day that Gilbert's back. That journey of all the girls being like, "Oh, that's Gilbert. He's the best student. He's so cute." And she's like, "Yeah, he's cute, but I don't care about him at all. So I'm just gonna ignore him." <laughs> and Gilbert teasing her, right? But like uh, the build up to breaking the slate over his head is so 
good and satisfying and like we don't use slate you know uh, chalkboards anymore but man the the damage you could have inflicted on bullies like that in class if you had something you could break over their head like right over his head too it is pretty intense also, what's the deal? Like, Gilbert shows up and he's the best student in class, but he's also three years older than the kids yeah. he's competing with. I feel like it's kind of cheating. It's definitely cheating, right? I, I mean, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I I always forget how much older he is than all of them, which is also right. he's, he's supposed to be fourteen, I yeah. think, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's he's got a he's got a weird thing going on. He's like a super um, super senior. We haven't found anything out about that by chapter nineteen, though, right? no i don't think so Mm-mm. uh just that he's older but like it, it involves something where he had to go stay with his family but he's like always oh, back from his family and wherever the place mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's what we um do. no but i i really just love so Anne has over her bosom friend diana for tea also the meals in this book are very confusing it seems like dinner is lunch and tea is dinner do I, I have think that, that dinner is lunch, yeah. but then tea is between yeah. lunch and don't they call supper dinner? Yes. Oh, okay. I mean, don't they call okay? Dinner so dinner supper? is lunch, tea yeah, is so in between, lunch, or dinner, tea, supper, and that's lunch. Yeah, afternoon okay. snack, dinner. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Very. I was confused in the beginning. Um, but anyway, so so uh, Anne has Diana over for tea. And they were supposed to be drinking, um, raspberry was it raspberry cordial? <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And Anne says, oh, I'm not going to have any, but Diana, you drink up. So she's pouring her glass after glass of this stuff. And Diana at first is like, oh, this is really good. I've never had uh, red raspberry cordial before. And then all of a sudden she's really sick, just plastered. <laughs> and she, she, you know, she stands up, she's really dizzy. She sort of stumbles home. And then the next morning, uh, gossip gets back to Anne that Diana was just hammered, just like <laughs> super drunk on uh, uh, Marilla's raspberry currant, or not raspberry currant wine, but currant wine. Um, and I really love Diana because she sounds like a drunk exactly <laughs> like I am. Like she was, she was just really like talkative and then just passed yep. out for hours. Uh, which sounded, you know, I mean, you probably shouldn't be that drunk when you're 11, but uh, it's a good learning you know, experience. Um, yeah, and then so, but then of course, Diana's mother refuses to let Anne uh, see Diana, and Anne thinks it's the end of the world. But she saves a baby to get back into good graces, as one does. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was really funny, and Marilla thought it was funny too, which I appreciate. I appreciate that Marilla is slowly, uh, you know, growing a sense of humor. What I do like about that is Marilla's like, oh, well, maybe Diana shouldn't have had three glasses. How great! Right. <laughs> Maybe Diana should yeah, be such yeah. a drunk. Or like, even if it was raspberry cordial, like uh, maybe maybe your daughter should learn some manners when she's over at someone else's house and call their raspberry cordial. <laughs> I do like that she's just really hungover yeah, the next totally. day. Yeah. <laughs> hungover 11-year-old. It's so good. Her hijinks are just a lot of fun. And she's always like, whoops, made a mistake. Sorry. Like when she makes up the whole dramatic confession about the oh brooch. Gosh, yes. That she, oh, that's that was really good too. Yes, yeah, that she doesn't even steal. That she she didn't even touch at all. But Marilla was so convinced that she did that she made up a like a confession just so she could go to a picnic and eat ice cream, which she'd never had. Right, before. it's such a good example of child uh, logic that Marilla's like, "Well, you can't go to the picnic <laughs> until you confess." And in Anne's brain, she's like, "But I didn't steal it." But what she said, what I'm hearing is that I get to go if I tell you I did it. So I did it. Here's a bunch of detail about how I did it. 
let me go to the picnic now. And Marilla's like, no, now you don't get to go to the picnic. And it just, it's a perfect like child adult, you know, um, uh, discrepancy. There is so much child logic in this book. That's what I really like about it is all the games that they yeah. play, which is like the deep fantasies that they indulge in and daring each other. Um, I'm going to use this as a segue into our next category, which is what is your favorite, who's your favorite character in Avonlea that's not Anne? And I will tell you who is not my favorite character. It is Josie Pye, yeah. who is a straight up like shady bitch. <laughs> and I do not like her. <laughs> She's everyone's least She's favorite so- character. Oh. Wait, this is this is Josie or Gertie? Josie. Josie's the one who's in Anne's grade, and Gertie is her older sister. Okay, okay. And but Josie is just like constantly talking shit about Anne. Like they're in the, the schoolroom or whatever, and she's always like, Oh, well, I don't know who will be around a long time because some people are orphans yeah. and they may never stay. So many orphan jabs. Oh. <laughs> she's so mean about Anne's parents being dead. Like, that's not cool, Josie. Uh, but who are your favorite characters that are not Anne? Um, for me, it's, go ahead, Ben. Oh, I was going to say, I love all, I love the kids in school. They're my favorite collectively. Um, <laughs> I, I love, I mean, speaking of the pie sisters, although I love that the pie, the, uh, Diana describes them as those pie girls are cheats are all, are cheats all around. Uh, Gertie pie actually went and put her milk bottle in my place in the brook yesterday. Did you ever, I don't speak to her now. <laughs> Uh, I mean, also, you got to respect a girl with the name Gertie Pie. I uh, I just love that. But I do want to shout out, uh, in the very beginning, when um, Mrs. Rachel is describing uh, her the orphans she knows or has heard of, she describes, uh, and I know another case where an adopted boy used to suck the eggs. They couldn't break him out of it. I just want to shout out that kid who wouldn't stop sucking eggs. <laughs> That's your favorite character besides... Yeah, I want to know more about him. I'm just curious. All right, wait for the fanfic (laughs) section of the podcast, and then you can talk about the egg-sucking boy. Um, I get really torn between Matthew and Marilla as my second favorite characters. Um, I might have to lean towards Matthew, if only because he's less complex than Marilla, so you have less to dislike (laughs) about him. But I just really love them. Um, I think they're such a wonderful old couple who... Is it a spoiler alert if I tell Ben that they're brother and sister and not married? Um, okay, that's what I had the thought of. Okay, I'm, I'm glad I was right. <laughs> and I just love these two old kind of like recluses who each in their own way defy social norms of the time. Because um, the ironic thing about Matthew being sort of one of the primary male characters is that he's a very, he is actually a more feminine character than Marilla in a lot of ways. He's He's the one who has like a softness for Anne and wants her to be happy and you know he's shy and sweet and and I don't know I think it's actually a really sort of quietly subversive character um in literature and uh, you just love him so much he's so nice he just wants Anne to be happy I agree I love Matthew I I think at the beginning when he's just so surprised that he's not one scared of her because he's scared of basically all women except for his own sister um and that he really enjoys her company and he is so proud of her. Like every time he, she does something good, it just makes him so happy. And it makes me sad that he never had a chance to have more yeah. children because he's like in his 60s. And he was never married. He lives with his sister. Um, and I, I do agree with you that he they, they are sort of a quietly subversive pair of people in this very insular town. And what's great about Marilla, too, is that she once Anne comes out like very 
early in the beginning, um, Mrs. Lind, their yeah. fat neighbor, who's constantly referred to as being the fat neighbor, which is like, okay. Some fat shaming in the book. Uh, Mrs. Yeah. Lind says to Anne, to Anne's face, like, you're skinny and ugly. It's a wonder that anyone would ever keep you. And Anne says back to her, like, you're fat and have no imagination. I hate you, which is amazing. Um, and then Marilla is kind of thinking in her head, like, well, that's not untrue. She doesn't have, she doesn't have an imagination and she does like to nag at people, but she feels like she has to punish Anne, even though she kind of agrees with Anne, which is interesting to see Marilla's entire opening up of that. Like her rusty smile is what's described a lot. She doesn't smile up, but suddenly like Anne's in her life and she does. Um, I also love Anne's apology to Mrs. Lynn, where she just says, everything I said was true, but I'm really sorry. I said <laughs> it's it. the best apology ever. Oh, so good. Oh, it's so good. Uh, it's along so those good. lines, I also want to mention uh, Miss Josephine, who I believe is Diana's great aunt, mm-hmm. who Anne wins over similarly, yeah. where she has to apologize. And her apology is so good that people instantly just forgive her and want to be her best friend. Yeah. I wish I could apologize like that. Like no, and they she they like jump on a sleeping (laughs) old lady. Uh, I I do like the kids as a collective too, like the school kids and all their little games they play. Um, Though again, Mr. Phillips, yeah, he's he's a creep. But the the kids remind me of the Charlie Brown kids, like the Peanuts gang. Yeah, a little. I get I get that vibe from them. Yeah, I totally get that. so it's it's so far it's just been like a really sweet little story about a a, a town that seems like it would be fun to visit. Yeah, I'm waiting for more. Um, I'm waiting for this to get serious because I, you know, we've read a chapter like, uh, like there's a couple of chapters that have disaster and catastrophe in the title, but they weren't all that bad. So I'm wondering if it's going to get worse. But then I have to remind myself that's a young adult book, and you know, Anne is probably not going to die of consumption. So I don't know. Uh, so we talked about this a uh, little bit or before we started recording, but we read Little Women earlier this year, and Little Women similarly has little sections where the girls have little adventures, and there's a moral at the end, and Marilla herself even says that every time she talks to a child, she thinks she needs to append some sort of moral <laughs> to what she says. Uh, Kieran, do you think that this book has a moral? Oh, man, like a, like a, like an overarching moral? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess if I was going to, if I, if I had to try and pin one down, right, it might be something like, um, uh, you know, that you never know what other people are going through. Like, I really do think it's a book about, uh, about a bunch of people sort of learning about each other's interiority, even though it's Mm. not super deep, it is about very different people learning how other people feel how they function in the world what they you know thrive on or dislike um so it would be something along those lines because you do see that in all of the major characters and it continues to happen down the line even if everyone's not super complex they still there are still expectations from other people that get um sort of contested based on actions or feelings and sort of in the nice childlike way that the book reads resolved rather quickly. That's why you have a character like Marilla with some complexity who, who is teamed up with Anne and they get to learn about how each other sort of function as humans. And I remember really appreciating that as a kid, sort of also learning how complex people were and how to approach people um, with maybe more kindness or understanding as an intention towards them. Um, Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you've 
Well, that that I I love that. That is you've convinced me. That was really good. I love that description of the book. It's a book about empathy. That's yeah. really good. I th- I appreciate. Yeah, I can appreciate that, and I really I really like that. That was really good. Yeah, I love that. That's <laughs> you that's should exactly blurb Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> you should write the next introduction. My introduction. My edition has an introduction by Ella Montgomery's granddaughter, and it's not <laughs> my Wait, What is the? Can you give us like a soundbite of what the introduction is like? It's really just, uh, it, it's, there's like three paragraphs, but there's nothing revealed at all. It's just like, I hope that the endearing character of Anne Shirley, who reveled in nature and justice, who developed passionate friendships and received the affection of ardent suitors, was based on some reality from my grandmother's life as a young woman. Like, you don't know? <laughs> You're not sharing any new information with me? And it's, it's only like, a, it's one yeah. page front and back in giant font oh, in the YA novel and the last two paragraphs are just a list of like cool stuff of like awards <laughs> the book is I hope my grandmother lived a full life also this book was pretty successful uh have fun reading <laughs> pretty much pretty good. that was the whole thing uh so we're gonna play our game that we play at the end which for such a wholesome book I feel bad calling the die of death that's what we call it <laughs> Anne would appreciate it would, Anne would, would call it romantic she would, she would like to play this game games. yep exactly <laughs> so we roll a die and we will each get to play one little game i roll it for everyone because i have it um (laughs) and uh the games we can play are wow that got racist or sexist who goes nazi would you rather pitch the bad gritty reboot summarize your fanfic and who's gonna die if you listen to other podcasts you know that we usually play who's gonna die slash who's gonna bang but i felt weird including bang in this since they're all children yeah uh there so no so so no banging category um kieran would you like to go first can I ask a question? Yes. How does one play the game, wow, that got racist or sexist? Uh, <laughs> you can pick your favorite part. That, well, not favorite. But you can pick a part from the book that you felt got racist or sexist and you want to point out. If you didn't feel like anything did, then you can play a different game. Okay, great. Got it. Just didn't know how that game was played. Yes, I will go first. You can roll a die for me. It's not really a game so much as it is that I usually roll it for myself and then just yell. <laughs> I enjoy it. All right, you got five. Summarize your fanfic. Well, I'm sorry to say that uh, you thought there was going to be no hint of banging in any of the games, but I'm going <laughs> to a little bit because my fanfic, uh, apologies to all the YA, all the, all the children reading this book, I would definitely go somewhere along the lines of an Anne Marilla lesbian romance. Uh, Whoa! Her, um, kind of uh, thing. That would be like that Carol, would be like generational romance. Yeah, exactly. Is that summer winter or what is it? May December. May December. Uh, yeah, summer yeah. winter. Right. That's what I said. It was close. Um, <laughs> but I think it would be yeah. You know that like uh, they get this girl uh, uh, orphan by mistake, and Marilla, who lives in a society where she's not allowed to experience her sexuality, has strange feelings towards the child. Nothing happens. We're not trying to. No, there are no graphic sex scenes in this fanfic. I'm thinking like a like a female version of Lolita without the gross sex stuff that you know is happening. Oh wow, that's super fucked up, but also extremely interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that could also double as your bad gritty reboot. So. It, could, it could. Although I have a feeling that TV audiences would be less interested in that reboot than fanfic audiences would be interested in the fanfiction. You are sure that would do really well on Tumblr, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, All right, Ben, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. 
you got one. Wow, that got racist. Oh, yes. You got it, uh, not me, for once. <laughs> I know, and I'm, I'm prepared for this one. Uh, well, I mentioned this earlier, where they're talking about all the different orphan boys they don't want, and uh, Marilla just drops London Street Arab, and it's no big deal. Um, but I, I guess, you know, even you know, charming Canadians on Prince Edward Island were racist back in the uh, 1900s, early 1900s. Uh, the whole book is kind of sexist in the fact that it is very much, it sticks very much to what uh, little girls are supposed to do and behave and, you know, seen, not heard. Um, well, Anne is very often heard and seen. <laughs> right. And, and, and I, I mean, the characters in the book, I don't mean necessarily the book itself does. Um, and sort of Anne is, a, yeah, a, uh, uh, you know, she refutes that. Um, so I guess, yeah, just the casual racism in the beginning. Yeah, definitely some casual races in the beginning. Yep. Um, yep, yep, yep. All right, I'm rolling for myself now. I got six. Who's gonna die? Ooh. <laughs> you know, unlike Bleak House, where I felt that pretty much everyone was gonna die, <laughs> I, I it's hard for me to imagine that someone is gonna die in this really idyllic world, but I also know that one of the chapters is titled the reaper whose name is death yep. so <laughs> someone's dying all right like someone is definitely gonna die um i, I think it's gonna be either marilla or matthew um because they're old because they're super old and it would matter to to Anne, and that's what this book is about about her and her life unless uh no this would be a little bit too dark unless it's like a random baby but I don't know. That seems like a little bit too Dickensian. Like she just like in Dickens, she would stumble upon a random baby that would then immediately, or like Beth, like in the beginning of Little Women, she Beth meets a baby and it immediately dies in her arms. So (laughs) that could happen, but I think it's probably going to be Marilla or Matthew. Yeah, I think that's a safe bet. One of them, and one of them has to die. Uh, But we will find out next time Mm -hmm. when we check back in with the second half of Anne of Green Gables. Uh, Kieran, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I loved getting to talk about a childhood favorite of mine. It was wonderful. And Ben, I'm so glad that you are not a full antinatalist. I am assuming <laughs> Anne taught you to open up. Uh, but we won't. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, remember, this is a podcast, so if you somehow are listening to it in some other way, like that's incredible. But you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that you get your podcasts from. Uh, leave a review if you feel like it. Uh, you don't have to write anything. Just write the title of your favorite book or a book that you would like us to do a podcast about, and we will do it. And we'll, uh, if you want to follow us on the internet, we are at Cannonballs Pod on Twitter. That's at C-A-N-O-N, balls with a Z, pod. And uh, tweet at us. We'll tweet back at you. It'll be really fun. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.